Shabbat Shalom, Mishpocha, family of scattered Israelites out there in the nations. Welcome. Here we are on another blessed, blessed Shabbat. Greet one another in the chat, all of you. Edify one another and encourage one another. We are in Maaseh Shlechim, the Acts of the Apostles the Acts of the Holy Spirit, Ruach HaKodesh, better, and the 20th, 20th chapter today. I want to talk to you today, Yahuwah willing, and communicate three very, very important things, I think, as the scripture, I pray, comes alive to you as it comes alive to me whenever I read it, pray, and meditate upon the word of Yahuwah just like the Bereans do. That's what we should do. Three things today. Number one, I want to touch very briefly on one of the visitations here in the 20th chapter, and that is Syria. Number two, I want to spend quite some time looking just about how much we don't know when it comes to the term mia ton sabaton, the Greek word, miaton, sabaton, phrase, I should say. And then number three, I want to talk to you about negotiable instruments. Honor and dishonor and our responsibility of accepting and returning. I pray you have the ears to hear and the eyes to see what's going to be communicated today because I believe that Yahuwah has great things in store for the believing community today. And after the uproar had ceased in Acts chapter 20 and the first verse, calling the disciples and greeting them, Shaul, Paul, left to go to Macedonia. And passing through these parts and exhorting them with much speech, he came into Greece and spending three months there, there being a plot against him by the Jews. Don't you just constantly see this underlying tyranny of the synagogue of Satan trying to thwart the plans of Yahuwah and the plans of Yahuwah's people? And spending three months there, there's that plot by the synagogue of Satan. Being about to sail into Syria, he proposed to return through Macedonia. We need to see today again, beware of the peacock. We'll talk about that in a little bit when it comes to news and media. The peacock and the spiritual demonic realm of propaganda. Because we have to look to Isaiah chapter 17 and a particular city in that region called Damascus and where we are now currently in the scriptural reality of the timeline of Yahuwah. Because I believe that we live in the very last days. Isaiah 17 talks about this region and how Damascus will become a ruinous heap. It never has in the past, 
and still remain. So this is something yet to happen. And we can see right now currently with what has gone on in the Middle East in the past few weeks that this region again is the hotbed of activity for the peacock the principality, the peacock, because what this is going to do is going to cause a distraction from Fauci and everything that is being exposed currently of what we've gone through in the past 18 months. We need to see that Luciferian money changers just mentioned those that have been following Paul from city to city trying to thwart the gospel, these Luciferian money changers, satanic globalists, they worship at the altar of a fallen angel. That fallen angel is known as Malik Taus. Malik Taus. And is symbolized by the peacock. You see, the satanic global establishment is behind the political, economic, social world scenes and is bringing down this nation of Syria currently before our very eyes. Ready to unleash the cult, the um, ready to basically unleash the massive distraction needed to get everybody's eyes off of what is really unfolding and coming out before the world. And to do that, they're going to use, I believe, chemical and biological stockpiles, and they're going to see this scenario of Isaiah 17 come into play. You see, there's a principality, the peacock, Malik Taos that is behind this. What is the symbol of the biggest propaganda machine out there? NBC. Do you really think that that symbol that they have has no connections to the actions of what they portray and do? It's the same demonic evil spirit that in ancient times opposed Yahuwah's people in that very region. It's the same demonic evil spirit that in ancient times opposed Yahuwah's people in Persia during the time of the prophet Daniel and has now risen in these last days to do the very same thing in that region, Syria, in the Middle East. It's the very one that fought with the archangel Gabriel, as written in the, pro in the book of Daniel, and is predicted that this same fallen angel and spirits would come once again to do battle with the body of believers using a body of evil legions that would be unleashed upon the world during the end times and unleashed against Yahweh's people through imagery and projection, what we would call today propaganda of the peacock, the Malik Taos. You see, what we're witnessing, and I'm not going to spend too long on this because I do want to get into the Mia Tan Sabaton, 
But I do want us to be aware so that we can see of where we are at in the time of Yahuwah. Because for us to negotiate the next season, I think we need to be able to maybe look at some things that we have skipped over or think that we know that maybe we don't. What we're witnessing now in our modern day and age is the renaissance of this evil spirit and demon, the Prince of Persia in the Middle East. And it's self-evident that this satanic movement, disguised as political and democratic, is for a very specific work to aid the ushering in of the Mahdi, or the anti-Moshiach, the very one that the Luciferian money changers and satanic globalists worship. And how's it happening? It's happening through the dissemination of the peacock. So beware now as you look in the scripture and as the peacock disseminates propaganda, it's all going to be around this region in Syria that Paul visited. Why? Because that is where the principality, as spoken of by the prophet Daniel, is in operation and is using this fallen angel, Malik Taos, to spread its message across the world. And most tune into it every single day and worship at its altar. So beware of that, because that is the distraction to get your eyes off Fauci. That being said and done, we now move into the next section, point two, Mir Ton Sabaton. And Sopta of Berea accompanied him into Asia. Anastachrus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy and Tychius and Tromphius as far as Asia. They're all in this region where there was strong strongholds of these demonic principalities, which is why Paul is constantly up against the synagogue of Satan. Now, going before these, verse 5, we waited for us at Troas. And after the days of unleavened bread, we sailed away from Philippi. And we came to them at Troas in five days, where we stayed seven days. Our understanding of days and times in the Hebrew Moedim, times and seasons, is very important. You can see here, we're in the 20th chapter of Acts, an unleavened bread. The feasts of Yahuwah are a very important time stamp in understanding, traveling, and prophecy. There isn't paganism in here unless it is disseminated by propaganda merchants and the occult. But Yahweh's true timestamp is always his Moedim. Unleavened bread, where we stayed the count of seven days. Now look at the seventh verse of Acts chapter 20, and this is where we're going to camp for a little bit. Because pride cometh before the fall. 
And I think so many of us, myself included, have been prideful in the past of what we think we know. And I have come to a point in my life where I realize that I no longer want to be that way because it is in my weakness and in meekness that I am finding true, true understanding because Yahweh is greater than me and he is greater than you. He is greater than my knowledge, greater than my understanding. It pales in comparison to the absolute power of revelation by his Holy Spirit, his Ruach HaKodesh. I thought I knew, but now I know not. Because the Ruach HaKodesh is teaching me to look at things with a whole new set of eyes of acceptance of what I don't know and returning unto Yahuwah for more revelation. In the seventh verse is key. If we can accept and return this in honor. The phrase in the Greek, de en to mia ton sabaton. The phrase in the Greek, de en to mia ton sabaton. It could be translated, depending on your Bible, in at least four different ways. Number one, it could be interpreted and translated as the first day of the week. In fact, in the New King James Version, that is how it's translated. But at least they're decent enough to put day in italics to show you that it's not actually in the text. In the New King James Version, it's translated the first italics day of the week. In other translations, number two, it's translated the first of the Sabbaths. Well, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean? The first of the Sabbaths. Is that associated with the count of Sabbaths? Where would we, where would we find that? Leviticus, Vayikra chapter 23, connecting to the spring feasts. Or another way of translating it, some Bibles translate it, the third way, is one of the Sabbaths. One of the Sabbaths meaning of the seven. Again, connecting it to the count of the Omer, possibly, allegedly, or have we accepted something that maybe we shouldn't have accepted? And the fourth one, the way it is possibly translated, depending on your translation, is one of the weeks. One of the weeks. So let's look at this phrase, mia ton sabaton. Now, you could just reject everything that I'm saying and go, well, we know what it means. It's Sunday for crying out loud, Matthew. It's about Sunday church and Easter and the Catholic communion. I just read it right here in my Bible, right? Wrong. But for many people, for thousands of years, that is what they accepted from their vicars of Christ. And they never did any more due diligence and returned nothing. That's what they accepted. But what then, if we're culturally, we're predisposed to cocking up the count? And I use that word deliberately, cocking up the count, as in we've accepted some propaganda from the peacock. 
And we're now cocking up the count because we're living in a peacock world of propaganda where we can't even count to three. Many people accepted from the pulpit that Jesus died on a Friday and he rose three days later on a Sunday. Hang on, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. How do you get three days and three nights from a Good Friday crucifixion to an Easter Sunday resurrection. Three days and three nights in that we can't even count to three because the peacock has infiltrated your brains with its propaganda and you accepted it and you returned nothing. You just accepted it. So... For many years. The seventh day of the week is Sunday. You accepted it and you didn't even question it. That Shabbat is the seventh day of the week and Sunday, of course, is the first day of the week. But And now you're telling me that Sunday is the Sabbath. That What? You accepted it. I accepted it and I returned with nothing. Because I was told, you do not question. You accept everything from the pulpit. You see how we have culturally been predisposed to the peacock. It's a spiritual principality, oftentimes working within the religious community to keep everybody down. Where, my friends, would we find similar language to the mere ton sabaton? And if we have been culturally predisposed to cocking up the translation of mere ton sabaton, our Bibles don't even know how to translate it from the New King James to the King Jimmy to your Sunday church. To, I mean, me, this phrase has been mistranslated and propaganda has ensued from it for 2,000 years. All I'm asking you today, my friends, is will you look with me at something to see if you and I are ready to humble ourselves and repent that maybe we don't know everything we think we know. Because for a long time, I thought this meant Sunday. As I was happy, clappy. And then I questioned what Miatong Sabaton meant. And I started thinking about Shabbat. And I started thinking about the feasts. And I started thinking about Bible things, Bible ways, and Bible language. This phrase, Miatong Sabaton, is connected to another phrase that you and I possibly have misinterpreted and it's embedded right within turn with me Vaikra Leviticus chapter 23 turn with me to Leviticus chapter 23 where we will find a similar language construction and thus possible alternative methods of interpretation in the scripture Hone in on the 15th verse of Leviticus chapter 23 and look 
at the similar language construction, especially if you've got a Septuagint, a Brenton Septuagint available. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Well, I know exactly what that means because I am the smartest tool in the tool shed or the sharpest tool in the tool shed, allegedly. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number fifty days and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto Yahweh. Now, if we're truly in the times that I believe we're in, then we should have the maturity, I believe, to have an honorable discussion and look into the innumerable scale of possibilities that Yahweh is presenting to us here. Because it can unlock our very future if we honor what Yahweh is presenting through his word here. We can reconcile first fruits and Shavuot, Pentecost here. To understand the feast days, we have to continually seek Yahuwah's calendar, do we not? Not my ideas of Yahuwah's calendar, and not your ideas of Yahuwah's calendar. But we need to be in bonds to the Ruach HaKodesh, the revelation and timing of the Holy Spirit. Yahweh's full revelation of his Moedim, his times and his seasons. And I'm not convinced, brethren, don't hate me, please. You can choose to dishonor what I'm about to present, or you can choose to honor it. That's up to you. But I have a duty to inquire, and that's what I'm doing. I'm not convinced that we have arrived at the full revelation yet. And I have some questions that I'd like to ask today. And I'd like you to accept and go and do the honorable thing with what I'm about to present. So help me with this, because I don't know all things. Because I am a broken, weak vessel. But in my weakness there is strength. Because I have the Ruach HaKodesh permeating through me in the most weakest of my times, in the most strong of my times, I often oversee the power that Yahweh has put in you and me because it is manifest in brokenness and weakness. If the Sabbath is on the seventh day of the week forever, and Passover is always on the 14th day forever, and unleavened bread is always on the 15th day forever, and f the first fruit starts on the 16th day forever, are we okay so far? Well, some of you already didn't like the last statement that I made about first fruits being on the 16th forever. You're already not sure if you want to accept what I've just presented. You might be squirming 
arguments and controversy, dishonor might be rising up within you right now. But that's on you because you have a duty to inquire too. You can ignore the inquiry and you can end up in dishonor or you can inquire yourself honorably and find something amazing in the scripture and the revelation of Messiah. Because my questions are because I have a duty to inquire. What if the seven Sabbaths is not what we've been taught it to be? The Moed. What if the seven Sabbaths isn't the feast? What do you mean? What if Shavuot, Pentecost, isn't the feast? What if that isn't the Moed? What if Shavuot, Pentecost, is the gift? And it's a special gift of the Holy Spirit. Lest you have been baptized with water and spirit. Right? What did they receive on Shavuot? The gift. But only those that were mikvahed, immersed in water and ruach, were able to receive the gift. And before I go on, only a few of you are going to have the ears to hear today. And only a few of you are going to have the eyes to see. And that's okay. But we must let this marinate. I want to talk briefly about negotiable instruments because what I'm doing is I'm presenting something to you, a negotiable instrument, and you have a duty now of what you're going to do with it. Now, negotiable instruments, you either accept them or you reject them. One puts you in argument, controversy, and dishonor. Another puts you in equity and honor. It's really depending upon your actions. Yahusha's life, Yahusha's life was a negotiable instrument. Now, usually it, in modern parlance, it talks about it being a document. But was he the living document, the living word? So his life, Yahusha's life, was a negotiable instrument. It could be accepted and returned in honor, or it could be accepted and dishonored. What do I mean? Yahusha accepted all that was presented to him. He stood on his square, and he returned everything presented to him honorably. And because he did that, he removed the controversy between Yahuwah and mankind, and that enabled him to overcome death. Does that make sense? That is why S.A. Tan tested Yahusha in the wilderness in Matthew 4, because he wanted to see if he could get him to dishonor the negotiable instrument which was his body and fall into sin. Thus, his instrument would have been in dishonor and it could never have done the work of redemption. 
Yahusha's body was a negotiable instrument. Everything that was presented to him, he accepted and he returned it unto the Father. Therefore, Satan had no argument, no controversy, no law, no jurisdiction over his body. Now, because he has ascended to the Father and he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us daily, his body is now a non-negotiable instrument. Meaning, it has been presented to all mankind. If you reject it, then you go into dishonor and you will be outside of the gates, and you will spend eternity separated from the Father. It is a non-negotiable instrument because he has overcome death. He is outside the jurisdiction of Satan. He is outside the realm of death. But if you accept that, you, you are in honor, and you now can walk in the kingdom here and live in eternity today. Today. A whole world is about negotiable instruments. And ultimately, our body is the ultimate negotiable instrument of flesh, soul, and spirit. And you can accept that, which you all have because you're breathing the very air that Yahweh has created. And now you can either dishonor your body by works of the flesh, wickedness. You can dishonor your soul and pollute your soul by looking at things and listening to things and speaking things that you should not, that will pollute and corrupt your soul. And you can dishonor your spirit, which cometh from Yahuwah, and you will have a dishonorable instrument that will be outside of the gates. Or you accept everything, everything that this world has to throw at you, everything that your enemies throw at you, everything, and you stand. And then when you stand, you still stand. And then Yahweh is your defense, and Yahweh is your shield, and you honor your body, you honor your soul, and you honor the spirit that was in you, which is the Holy Spirit, and then you are eligible to be transfigured out of this skin into the kingdom. Ultimately, right now, the majority have been duped by the peacock to dishonor their body. They've corrupted it by accepting the propaganda of the peacock. And I don't want to spider web out here too much because this is deep. And I'm going to connect this back to the Moedim or what we think the feasts are because Yahweh's times and seasons are so important. Our whole life here is how to manage our negotiable instruments. Ultimately, once we learn it in the natural, it will be time to learn how to manage the final 
non-negotiable instrument, your body, soul, and spirit. Acceptance and return in honor for the transfiguration. The Bible. I told you how this Bible of mine smells, don't I? It smells of challah bread, anointing oil, marmite, and tobacco. I've had it a long time. When I was dishonoring my body because I first got saved. And when this negotiable instrument was first presented to me in December of 1995, I threw it on the ground and I danced around it with a mocking jig. I did that. I threw the Bible on the ground and I literally danced around it with a mocking jig. I dishonored what was presented to me in December 1995. It was presented again to me in August 1996 after I recognized the substance of the deed. You know that a mortgage deed is a negotiable instrument, right? This is a land deed to this earth. This is the title deed to your body, soul, and spirit. And this has been negotiated by the Savior, Yahushua, because it was dishonored by Adam and Eve. And Satan has been walking around seeking who he can devour and put in dishonor since that time. I recognize the substance of this deed in August 1996. I accepted him, Yahushua, the substance of the deed. I acted upon the deed. I made repentance. And I began to seek an honorable way to live in my body, in my soul, and now with the gift of the Holy Spirit within me. Yahweh showed me how to negotiate the instrument. I didn't have that understanding of that's what I was doing then, but I do have it now. Because this whole life of ours is about negotiable and non-negotiable instruments. Every single day since we have been born and your mother and father negotiated the instrument of the birth certificate and negotiated the instrument of the social security, you have been bound in bonds. A Federal Reserve note is a, a negotiable instrument. Checks, money, orgid, money, money um, orders. You get a, somebody hands you a traffic ticket. It's a negotiable instrument. You you sign a more. It's everywhere. Your whole. You, but you don't see it because you're in the matrix. It's the construct all around you. Because Satan loves 
us to dishonor every negotiable instrument with debt, credit, dishonor, arguments, contentions, all of the controversy that this whole world operates in. But when we move outside that realm of dishonor and we accept everything, every I mean everything, accept it all. Accept it all and return it in honor. The controversy is gone and now we're left to the Creator's adjudication. Would you rather fall into the hands of men or would you far rather fall into the hands of a merciful, living Elohim? Because men are unmerciful. Many, many other people, they rejected Yahushua and they reject him today. They enter into argument. They enter into controversy. They end up in dishonor. They re rejected his negotiable instrument, which was his body, which was his perfect without sin life. And they will end up where? In arguments, in controversy, outside the gates. We must learn, brethren, how to negotiate our instruments because ultimately we will have to negotiate our body, soul, spirit instrument. That's what this life is about. That's what this life is about. Fear. Fear. It puts you in dishonor because you kick against the pricks. Faith. It puts you instantaneously in honor because you accept and return and you gain shalom, thus honor. Does that make sense? So now I am going to present all that to say this. What is he going on about? What is he talking about? All that to say this, I'm going to present you right now, live, right here. I'm going to present you with a negotiable instrument. And what you choose to do with it will either to be honor it or to dishonor it. And that, my friends, is on you and it's a reflection of your walk and your maturity so please don't dishonor me because I am just the messenger and I am gonna present to you a negotiable instrument see if you pass or fail the test because this is a test this is a test you have a duty to inquire of what I'm about to present. What you do with it, how you accept it, will either put you in honor or put you in dishonor by your actions, not mine. 
And again, like I said, you do this every single day without thinking about it within the construct of the matrix. Federal Reserve notes, traffic tickets, mortgages, utility bills, checks, money orders, restaurant bills. These are all presented before you and you don't even question it. Because it's the construct. What would happen if we turn back to Leviticus chapter 23 together and we reread it? I start wondering, would you honor my presentment? Would you look at it and return it in honor? Or would you start arguing? Would you start fighting because you, so, you know so much? Because you're so wise. You just know all things. And I've just affronted you. I'm about to. No, we have a duty to inquire. There's something to be learned in what I'm about to present. Oh, just get on with it, would you, Nolan, and present it there for crying. Right? Isn't that what you're thinking? See, it's already rising up in you, isn't it? Oh, that flash. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 23. What if, what if, in verses 1 to 2 of Leviticus chapter 23, he is telling us what he is giving us. Look at verse 3. It's all about the weekly Sabbath, is it not? Look at verses 4 through 8. It's an overview, is it? Is it not? Look at verses 9 through 14. It's how to bring in the first fruit offerings. Well, look at verse 15. Count seven complete Sabbaths. Well, hang on a minute. Then I go to verse 16. Count 50 days after the seventh Sabbath. Now sit back and look what I just said. Look what I just said. Look what you just read. What if you start the count on the days of the wave offering, day 16, and you complete 49 days, seven Sabbaths? Are we good so far? Everyone just read that. Are we good so far? Well, now you're at Pentecost, Shavuot. It is the day after a Sabbath. Interesting timing right there. Now count 50 days and you will see you land at the end of August on the Roman calendar. And this is then perfect timing for a what? A second first fruit offering. And the next day is also a Sabbath. Here's a question I'm having. What if the new grain offering, what if, now I'm just asking for a friend, what if the new grain offering, now remember, when Yahushua told his disciples that his father has a, a gift for them, what was that gift? That was the Ruach HaKodesh, right? Did they celebrate an appointed time, or rather, was it a gift that they celebrated on that day? They celebrated a gift, didn't they? At Pentecost, 
when you read the book of Acts, they celebrated a gift. They weren't in their wave sheave offering doing all the first fruits or the, the second wave, wave sheaf, you don't see that. You see them celebrating the gift because that was the gift. The gift was for those who were born of water and spirit that received the Holy Spirit. And the gift was that they would start prophesying, speaking in tongues, and go out and disseminating and spreading the seed to the harvest. I'm going to speak to you in agricultural terms right now. I don't think they were celebrating an appointed time. Rather, they were celebrating a gift which was like his covenant, his new covenant to them. What if the spring feasts are number one, Passover, number two, feast? unleavened bread, and number three, first fruits. What if, I'm just asking for a friend, what if Pentecost, Shavuot, is not an appointed day, but rather a day just to celebrate the gift, and only those that have received the water and the spirit would be able to accept and return that with the manifestation of the gospel. It would only be a special people that would be able to accept and return that by the manifestation of what we see Paul and the disciples doing. Because the synagogue of Satan, they dishonored that presentation, didn't they? They totally dishonored him and dishonored the Holy Spirit. In fact, they blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. So what if Pentecost, Shavuot, is not an appointed day, but rather a day just to celebrate the gift? Only those who have the eyes to see this because they've been baptized with the water and the spirit. What if Pentecost, Shavuot, is the believer's test on whether you and I are able to honor what has been presented to us? And the only way we could honor it is because we have being born of water and spirit, the new birth, and we're able to see. Look, I'm just asking for a friend. What if the first wave verse of Leviticus 23, verse 13, and the present thereof shall be of two-tenths of a deal of fine flour mingled with oil in an offering of fire unto Yahuwah, for an acceptance aroma, and the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of a hin. Leviticus 23, now verse 14. And ye shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor green ears until the same day, until ye have offered the offering to your Elohim. It shall be a statute forever and ever throughout your ages in all your dwellings. What happens if we got to the second wave? In verse 16, unto the day after the seventh Sabbath, ye shall number 50 days. Then she, ye shall offer a new present presentment unto Yahuwah. You shall bring out of your habitations, take two wave loaves 
of two tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven, and they are the first fruits unto Yahuwah. There's a first fruits wave offering, and then there is the second wave offering. But what happens if we haven't negotiated what Yahuwah was presenting to us properly? I have to ask myself, what happened in between these two offerings? A gift was given, which is Shavuot. But Shavuot is in between, possibly asking for a friend, between these two wave offerings. And the gift is between the two wave offerings because that is only a gift that will be accepted and returned by those that are born of water and spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, was given between these two offerings. And now the disciples go out preaching in power just as Yahushua did. There is a transference that's happening here between the Levitical priesthood and the Malkitzedic priesthood. Because the Levitical priesthood was offered something, the Book of the Covenant, and they dishonored it. And therefore they were subject to dishonor. And it was re-offered and presented again at what Shavuot really was always about, the gift and the giving of the covenant. And here it is accepted and returned with the speaking of tongues and a scattering of a new harvest. That is what it was always supposed to be. But you've been living within the construct biblically of the book of the law, which was based upon dishonor of the negotiable instrument being the covenant. So therefore, you've believed that Pentecost, Shavuot, was the feast, was the second wave offering. But really, what happens if it was the gift of receiving in between the two wave offerings? I'll carry on. Only a few of you are going to have the ears to hear right now, but you may later be ready to receive. But don't dishonor what I'm presenting because you have to stay in honor. Think about this. The Bible all the time. I'm excited. I've got to have sit down and have a drink because I think amazing things are happening in our lives. Look, the Bible uses agriculture always to reveal great mysteries. Let's think about being gardeners in relation to what I'm talking about. And many of you are gardening right now. Why would you collect in your harvest at the end of spring? Shavuot, Pentecost. Why would you collect in your harvest? Why would you collect in everything that you put in your garden right there at the end of spring for that second wave offering? Why, that doesn't make any sense to me. If you're a gardener and you were to plant your field at first fruits, 
you bring in your first fruits, right? They're the green buds. They're not really mature enough, but you bring them in because you can see that they're going to grow into a bountiful garden. So you bring in those first fruits, those green ears. They're not really fully mature enough to eat and harvest, but you know that it's coming. So you bring it in and you bring in the first fruits offering unto Yahuwah and you give him thanks. That's the first fruits, right? But then Shavuot, Pentecost, is then a celebration of those who are cultivated by water and spirit. It's not the second wave offering. Pentecost, Shavuot, is the celebration, the gift that is given only to those that are cultivated by water and spirit, ready to have their seed broadcast across the field and the field is the world why because the world needs to be ready for the final harvest which is a moed which comes another 50 days later right before the sickle harvest of yom Teruah, the feast of trumpets think about this gardeners why would a farmer uproot his field in the midst of a growing season? That doesn't make any sense to me. Shavuot, Pentecost, is in the midst of a growing season. Why would you uproot your, all of your garden in your field to do a, a second wave offering of it? It hasn't come into its full abundance yet. And Yahweh's merciful. He wants you to, he wants to give you the time. He's merciful to produce, to grow up. When I was a boy, I thought like a boy. When I first got born again, I was just a green ear. And is he going to pluck me up right now and expect? No, he wants me to grow into the full bounty of a harvest to go out and produce a massive, massive crop. There has to be more time for growth and more time for fruit to bear in your life, in my life. I'm just asking for a friend. Okay, bear that in mind. Now, stick, stick it down in the comments what you think about what I'm saying, but be honorable. This is the revelation. The mere ton sabaton is the count of the Sabbaths. But what happens if there's another 50 days after? Read it. That that gives the garden a full time, a full time to be held back to produce a massive harvest. I think we're coming into that time. I think we're coming at, into that time. Think about it. At Passover, you're born again, right? Passover symbolizes being born again. Unleavened bread. What is unleavened bread? Think about Yahushua. He was subject to all the yeast, the sin around him. And usually, all the yeast in the air, it gets into the bread, right? 
and it makes it rise. Even if it's unleavened, it gets contaminated by all the sin, all the yeast all around, and it will cause it to rise. You're like, I never put any leaven in it. How did it? Because it's in the air. You and me, our bodies. But Yahushua, he is the bread of life. He walked this whole earth. And all the sin and the leaven in the air, it didn't enter into his body. And he is the first unleavened lump of no sin had contaminated him. And he rose from the dead, not because of sin and the leavened lump, but because he negotiated his body instrument in honor. Unleavened bread, he was subject to yeast all around him, but it never rose up in him, did it? And now we have the opportunity to live like that as well. And that's why he said to eat of his bread, not the bread of the world. If we eat of the bread of the world, we're going to be partaking of what? Sin. Because it's contaminated by yeast and sin. But if we eat of Yahushua's bread, it's an uncontaminated pure... Do you, do you get what I'm saying? I know I'm just, I'm like, I'm just in it. I'm in it to win it. There's so much here. The bread of the world is permeated with sin, yeast all around it. And it rises up within us because we're eating of the world's bread. First fruits, those young tender buds come up, those green ears. What happens? When we come to first fruits, we're to offer our young life, those green buds, that first born again few months of our life, we offer that life to Yahuwah, and then by doing so, if we stay the course in honor, we'll begin to produce a bigger harvest as we mature. But at the very beginning of that born-again experience, we're just a, a new bud. But we have to remain rooted. We have to remain planted. We're not ready yet for harvest. I wasn't ready for harvest in 1996 and seven for crying out loud. But Yahweh's been patient with me. I wasn't ready for harvest in 2005. I'm not ready for harvest now. He's going to let the buds grow. He's not going to uproot the harvest early. Why would you tear your garden out in the midst of the spring? You're going to let it go another 50 days. Because then it's going to be a plump garden. It's going to be full of massive, massive, massive fruit ready for the next full feasts. Because ultimately there's going to be a wedding banquet and it's going to be the best, fullest, fattest crops that are going to be brought in there. Let me work through this. He says, I am the bread of life. And he was the bread that was going to rise up with a new risen, not from yeast contaminated sin of the world, but risen from purity because he negotiated his body instrument. So Yahushua, of course, was the first fruit offering 
the first fruit wave offering, and he brought up those with him. We saw that, of course, after he was crucified. He crucified, he brought those up with him. But traditionally, we have been taught by those in dishonor, we have been taught that the second wave offering is Pentecost, is Shavuot. But I'm asking for a friend. Maybe it's not. Because Shavuot, Pentecost, was always about the gift, was it not? What is Exodus 19? It's the gift. It's the gift of the book of the covenant. If you could negotiate that covenant, that instrument in honor, you would get a massive harvest and go right into the kingdom. But they dishonored the negotiable instrument. They built a golden calf. They were given a ticket of dishonor, the book of the covenant, and they remained out in the desert for a whole generation. And they've been living in dishonor in the kingdom ever since. Yahweh sent them prophets. He sent them judges to try and correct them. And they still wouldn't listen. So then he dishonored them further. Because they dishonored themselves. Therefore they walked in dishonor. He sent them to Babylon and scattered them out into the dishonor, 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 dishonor. Never learning to negotiate covenants and our instruments until Yahushua came along and perfectly negotiated the instrument of his body, soul, spirit, and flesh. And he is now a non-negotiable instrument. You accept him, you receive honor. You reject him, you're outside of the gates. There is no negotiation. It has been negotiated, and now there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. I don't care what arguments you have. I don't care what kind of law, what kind of Torah, what kind of Judaism. It doesn't matter. Because it's non-negotiable now. It's beyond your and my reach. It is done. It is finished. Shavuot was always about a gift, brethren. Moshe was on the mountain for 40 days. Yahushua was on one of the mountains of Moriah for how many days? 40 days. Moshe came down the mountain after 40 days and they dishonored the negotiable instrument. Yahushua honored and negotiated his instrument perfectly. Therefore, he rose from the dead, and therefore he was able to give them the gift, but only those who accepted it in honor by water and spirit can receive it, which is why I must share it with you today. This is a test for you and for me. Because there's another 10 days of coming, isn't there? There's another 10 days of coming. Going back to the garden, and I'm finishing up here. You've been very patient. The first harvest is first fruits. The green buds. It's before the gift. 
the second harvest is not Shavuot in the midst of the growing season. Why would you tear up your garden in the midst of the growing season? Let it grow for another 50 days. And then all of your fruit is going to be abundant and fully grown. And then what you'll do is you have your second offering and it's going to be an abundant, fruitful offering. Then what do you do? After that second 50 days, you start breaking down your garden, which is where we're at prophetically, which is why so many are going to perish. Because now the harvest of all the fruit has come out and you start breaking down your garden in late summer. You start tearing out the tares. You start tearing out any weeds, any rotting vegetables, any carcasses. You start tearing out on that garden. And then what do you do? Then you suffocate the land with plastic. You put plastic over the whole land and you suffocate it in preparation for the next growing season. And the suffocation is about to happen to those that stay in the field, which is the world, because they weren't ready for harvesting. They're going to be suffocated because there is going to be the Feast of Trumpets and 10 days right there of suffocation of the land where the ground will be suffocated out. Get out of the world. Come out of her, my people. We are in this season right now because then there comes Yom Kippur, the suffocating of the garden, the suffocating of the earth, the tilling of the ground, the tilling of the earth. Take out everything. Compost it. Compost it. Rotting decomposing they took on all kinds of toxic yeast and poison because they couldn't live in honor they dishonored their bodies they dishonored their souls they dishonored their spirits and they became composted vegetative states of being this is where we're at prophetically. If you have ears to hear what I am saying, till the dirt, suffocate it so no more weeds and tears come in. Why? We know that the second 50 days brings forth a bountiful garden full of fruit because it's at its head. It's the best, the best of the best before you shut down your garden. And tabernacles, that's the new Eden. That's the new garden. And that's where there's going to be a supper of all of that fruit. Reread and meditate upon what I'm presenting today because we have been living inside a construct of dishonor. Mia ton sabaton. We think we know how to count days. We thought we knew so much. 
But maybe we were presented something by another, another spirit. And it was not of Yahuwah's word. We thought for so long that we could count to three, but we found out we couldn't. We thought for so long that Sunday was the Sabbath. We thought for so long that we could count. And oftentimes, just by not looking at the mere ton sabaton, or arguing when anyone presents something different, arguing, entering to the controversy, maybe we won't grow into the fullness of everything that we could be. Let's see what you have to say down in the comments section. Be nice and stay in honor. And only a few of you are still here. Now, let me see. Let me see. See, you know, you never know. You never know, do you? Okay, if you have anything to say, (laughs) put it up in the chat while I get my spectacles. We'll leave it at there. We won't go into the others. If you want red line, red line, red line, Angela, bonjour, bonjour, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. Shiloh, Shabbat Shalom. Is it reasonable to negotiate with an accuser who assumes you're guilty because they imply it so? Don't negotiate with the accuser. Did Yahushua negotiate with the accuser? People accuse all day long. The facts are on the moon. Don't get into the controversy. Shazi Kelna, Shabbat Shalom, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. Only fear Yahuwah and you shall serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what marvels he has done for you. Let us not be fearless, but fearless. Hallelujah. Baruch Hashem Yahweh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. C. Blue says it makes total sense. Made sense to me. I'm glad it's made sense to somebody else. Chris in FEMA Region 4. Don't forget our blessing. Thank you. Thank you. Angela Bonjour, Shabbat Shalom. Do you know when the next sabbatical year for the land is and the next Jubilee year? No, I don't. Fun guy has been um, um, deleted, so I'm thinking we had some, someone didn't um, negotiate their instrument well there, possibly. All right, let me see here. Let me refresh my screen because I'm not getting... uh... Let's see, where are you? Oh, there you go. Okay, if you have a question, put it up in the red, at Torah to the tribe. Ah, Craft Case Nate. So I would like to ask, 
when you say don't argue but question constantly, can you please clarify that statement a bit? Well, arguments are part of the, every, you see, the whole, the whole construct is to get you in the argument, right? To get you in the contention, to get you in the controversy, and then you're in the controversy, which is the kingdom of Satan. But Yahweh has a better way for us, which is to have a duty to inquire. We don't need to live that way. There's a better life full of abundance and harvest and blessing. And then there's another life of argument and controversy and pillage and spoil. And that, that's a life of rottenness. And it brings forth a fruit that is only temporary. So there's a better way to live. That's all I'm saying. Johanna Grace Jordan, she says, tracking with you, Matthew, totally. I studied this as well and agree. Well, my goodness, accept and return. Bruce, Bruce Edmonds, awesomeness, Matthew, awesomeness, remain in honor. And what a beautiful medal of honor right there. And Diesel Grandpa, Shabbat Shalom, up there in Diesel Grandpa and Grandma land, in the land of giant killers, he says, the seminary is where Satan implants his seed of deception to make sure all Christian denominations are equally spreading the same lies. Well, there you see, again, people are not walking in that honor and accepting without the honor, bringing them into dishonor. Kevin and Katie Nita, we noticed the discrepancy in the counting this year, but figured, what do I know when so many have come before me? Thank you for the testing. I'm questioning because I have a duty to inquire. Will you inquire with me? That's all I'm asking, because we have a duty to inquire. And the big thing for me was looking at this agriculturally and then seeing how I'd cocked up Mia Ton Sabaton for so long, peacocking it up, right? And then all the arguments, all the arguments and all the controversy that people put in the calendar well, that's dishonorable, that we can't even reason together, that we can't even accept in honor. Why are we, what, what's there to be defensive about? There's nothing to defend. If you defend, you're in dishonor. You might need to get yourself a defense. You see how it, you see how it works? Then you're just living in a dead realm dead men walking. There's a whole better life for us. There's a whole better life that Yahweh has. One of, one of Shalom. Linda George, Shabbat Shalom. If I am picking up what you're putting down, this was presented to me by other Malkitzedic priests. I couldn't receive then, and we parted when the Omer count started. Okay, I'm pressing in. Well, that's because you are an honorable woman. From the very first moment I met you and looked into your eyes, my dear lady. You see? But you weren't ready then, just as I wasn't ready then. But I know that the Holy Spirit lives within you. Because I testify, and I'm sure you know, because you looked inside my eyes, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. So therefore... Yahweh's long-suffering with us, isn't he? 
He hasn't plucked us up too early when we're those little green buds and ears. Much more beauty, Shabbat Shalom. Controversy is the field, the world. Wait until the harvest is fat and ripe. Then and only then we will receive the gift. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. And Thomas, Thomas down there, Shabbat Shalom, Thomas Hughes, Torah to the tribes recognizes the book of the law, book of the covenant. So naturally, we should all question Midrash everything and pray for Yahuwah's insight exactly. How are the hoodies coming, brother? The, oh, the hoodies, yes. Ah, we were talking about being hooded last week, weren't we? Yes, that was fun, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, you see, now Diesel Grandma's asking some good questions. So are there still only seven feasts as depicted by the menorah? Yes, there's still only seven feasts. There is still only seven feasts. Or is Shavuot a hundred days? No, you see, this is the wonderful thing. Shavuot. Is Shavuot the question? I'm making in an inquiry here because I have a duty to inquire. I'm asking is Shavuot really? Was it always in honor, which was the book of the covenant, was it always meant to be a gift in between the first wave offering and the second wave offering? It was a special gift, was it? I'm asking for a friend. Was it always not a moed, but a gift? of those that were born of water and spirit. But it was dishonored. That instrument was dishonored. Therefore, you went into the book of the law, and then all of a sudden, it becomes the Moed itself, because that's what the Jews said. That's what the rabbis said. That's what all the leaders said. That's the, that's the feast. That's the feast. That's the feast. Therefore, they never did the second count which was really when the second harvest was to become, once the garden is full and... I'm just asking for a friend. Stay in honor. Because I don't have all the answers. But I have a duty to inquire when the Holy Spirit brings me into this new life that I'm living, of blessing abundantly, through the refiner's fire, I would never have had the opportunity if mine enemies hadn't positioned me to this opportunity. It's amazing when your enemies hand you a gift. They don't realize it. Could be the biggest gift of my life. Man, Kevin Niebling, Shabbat Shalom, Kevin. Can having a duty to inquire relate to testing the spirits? Of course, the first, according to First John four one. Yes, brother, exactly. Because our war is not against flesh and blood, but principalities. 
Shiloh, could the count equate also to 30, 60, 100-fold return as the first blade, then the ear, then the full corn of the year, inquiring for myself? That's because you, my brethren, my brother, have long time been in the realm of what I'm talking about. This is amazing. Yes, you see. Is the gift you speak of simply put tongues? No, the gift is the Ruach HaKodesh. There's manifestations of that gift. The gift. There is one gift. There are not many gifts. There are not nine gifts. There is one gift. It is the Ruach HaKodesh. There are operations of the gift. And I've used the analogy before. A battery in a car. Without the battery... When the car is off, you can't use the window wipers, you can't use the electric windows. The battery, use an analogy here, is the Holy Spirit. And once that is deposited within the body of the vehicle, you can then choose to put all nine operations on at once. You can have the window wipers going, you can mess around, you can have the radio. That's, that is really how you decide to steward it. But there's only one gift, and there are nine operations of that gift. Oh, that's exciting, isn't it? So the gift is the Ruach HaKodesh. Tony Wright's got the double-double outpouring, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. We see lots of good questions coming up here. Excellent, excellent. Hallelujah, worship. In the spiritual, we are rewinding back to the garden and going forward in the natural. We are the righteous seed line, latter fruits, born of Yahusha. Praise Yahuwah, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. And Alma tells us in Proverbs 25, verse 2, It is the glory of Yah to conceal a matter, and the glory of kings is you search out a matter. And how do we search out a matter? We must live as kings. As kings. Asking. You must asking. You must inquire as a king. He who inquires is the king, as king, asking. It's always the king that inquires. Oh, Darjeeling, love getting my pride stepped on big time today. Love just asking for a friend. I so love your way of speaking truth and inquiring for more of it. Oh, praise Yahuwah Dada. My pride has been stepped on too. And that I am so, so thankful for. Well, I think, my brethren, there is a lot for us to, to meditate on. Reread Leviticus and think of a garden and think about Yahuwah's mercy. And just think about how we have been presented with things through the mere ton, sabaton, that just weren't so. Hey, 
put some honorable comments down in the comments section. Give us some thumbs up. And remember, subscribe to the ministry and all of you that have been stewarding your gifts to this ministry. We thank you for your stewardship. Always, always, we thank you and are so appreciative of everybody who gets on live every single Sabbath and makes the connections. All of those that work so hard behind the scenes. And remember, you can always go to TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect and connect, 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 connect with your brethren. Make those connections. Let's be a ministry of honor where we can have discussion, where we're not arguing about our doctrine and how we interpret the calendar and we and this and that, because then we're going to miss the blessing. We're going to miss the gift. Yahweh has great things for us if we can be those people that would walk in honor with one another in all that we do, in how we negotiate our body instrument. I want to be transfigured out of this body, and I want to be transfigured in this life that you and I have, and I want you to transfigure with me. I want to see you be taken out of this flesh and be put into garments of light. And I think that Yahweh is moving us in that season because there's going to be a whole bunch of plastic sheeting and there's going to be a bunch of composting carcasses very soon. Shabbat shalom. I'll leave you with that.